0: This week, my uh, on the radio. I think just about one or two days, like Monday or Tuesday, after last Sunday night's message, on the radio talking about all the feelings that are involved in the through the Spirit. These are all emotions. Um, no. They are not. And uh, you're not, uh, the Holy Spirit is not your emotional um, crutch to prop up emotions. That's not what this is about. Um, These are about decisions of your will to um, cooperate with the Holy Spirit and that cooperative effort of His working in you and you walking with Him and not resisting him and uh, not quenching his work uh, results in some fruit and that fruit we are studying together. And as I've uh, shared last week, um, that fruit is as, is not uh, as fickle as feelings. it is much more substantial and it is related to the works of the flesh come forward, the fruit of the spirit and therefore this is action this is, Something you need to be engaged in. We handled only the first three. We're going to handle the other six that are listed here tonight in two categories. Um, and anytime you try to break it down to categories, there's to some degree they they fail. Um, but uh, just for sake of handling them, and sometimes just for memorizing them, sometimes it's helpful to do that and to have them again. I want to reiterate. That there is no evidence in this list, as most any other list that you find uh, in Paul's writing, that his intention was to be, uh, to list everything, to be exhaustive. Um, we do not find his intent there. In fact, uh, from the takeoff from the works of the flesh, we find that there are many others. He just listed some. Similarly, we have. Uh, this list and i'm convinced that this is not the entire list but it is one of the lists in the bible along with the with the gifts of the spirit that we have treated as if it's a very finite list of nine through the spirit and that's unfortunate because what we have done is we've tried to pigeonhole god and his working in us i believe that there are manifold workings and results of our cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit and his work. Can you imagine that his work, um, while this is a good summarize, would be limited to these nine things? Well, no. We could add quite a bit out of God's word that are also uh, aligned with, and maybe you could try to pigeonhole into one of these nine, but why? Why not just say this is an additional Uh, effect of walking in the spirit in my life Um, and i think we could put righteousness in there pretty easily couldn't we would that be the fruit of walking in cooperation with the holy spirit but righteousness isn't on our list is it and so oh is that not the fruit yes it is the spirit's going to lead us um into truth and that facet of the work of the spirit so so we don't want to view this list as a as an exhaustive one that these are the only nine things that are through the spirit. Um, this is a sampling that Paul gives us to give us a a understanding of the impact of the spirit. Just as the sampling of the works of the flesh is to understand that certainly there are other works of the flesh beyond what's listed there, um, and uh, that we should. Uh, turn away from such things uh, because those who practice them will not inherit the kingdom of God so we're going to come into these last six understanding the necessity of the first three um, and having a right hand on them you get the first three wrong I really think you're going to be misguided through a lot of the balance of what the Holy Spirit's work in us and and this mishandling of the first three. I really didn't really talk about it last week, but I want to take a few minutes to talk about it tonight. It has, it has either been the result of or produced interest in and acceptance of the idea that if the Holy Spirit is really active in me and I am fully surrendered to him, I am going to have these experiential, emotion-packed um, ex, uh, events in my life and it has really fed the charismatic or or Pentecostal movement that somehow this is the evidence, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I feel it. And I'm like, well, what happens when that feeling goes? Because feelings have a habit of doing that, don't they? They're unreliable. So what happens uh, in many of these is they have this wonderful charge up and rejuvenation on sunday because you have the between the power of music the power of a charismatic speaker um whether he's biblical or not isn't important what's important is he makes me get tingly all over and uh, you hear testimony of people um in places where the truth is not there in fact a bold-faced lies are being preached but they are saying this must be the work of God. He must be an agent of God. Why? Oh, I'm there and I feel tingly all over and I just and I just get so excited. My heart beats and and I'm like, well, you can get that at any concert of any music you particularly appreciate. Let's not um, boil down the work in the spirit to emotions. And yet we find people doing this and and uh, uh, and this is. The mainstream. The mainstream are saying these are emotional things: love, joy, particularly joy and peace, those two particularly, but also love. They associate with your uh, uh, center feelings, and again, the Bible puts those as called tender mercies. They refer to those as your bowels, as your as, and, and so there are other verbiage that can be used to talk about your feelings. The Bible isn't disconnected from your idea of feelings, but it is. Not driving your spiritual life is how you feel on a particular day. And so when joy becomes a feeling, instead of an act of service and an attitude, a perspective, and when it becomes a feeling, well, well, it's going to come and go. Well, that's not what Jesus said would happen. That's not comforting. Um, that's no different than the world. The world will get those joyful feelings when their favorite team wins a, ball, when it wins a uh, big game. They'll get that same feeling or charge out of participating in, in some exhilarating event. Um, they'll get those ups and downs. That can't be the Holy Spirit's work that he's referring to here. He's talking about something much more substantial. And so uh, we are um, cautious and maybe sometimes a little overcautious in allowing our feelings to enter our worship. Um, And and frankly, you know, those that do kind of make me nervous a little bit. And I'll be honest with that. And I've been raised in in circles that have, uh, maybe to a fault, um, disconnected our feelings from our worship and from our acts of service. Um, But... uh, When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, um, that is not the place, the venue for us to introduce that concept, Um, because then you're going to chase after all kinds of stuff that's going to get you into trouble um, if the only criteria that makes it of God is your feelings. You're in dangerous territory there, and we don't want to go there. So let's get these right and then we can move into the rest and they will fall into place and and be evident their necessity of the working of the Spirit of God in us. So, um, we have love, joy, and peace established. We're going to look into long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And before we do so any further, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word before us and its power and truth. And we pray that it might... Uh, be broadcast here in this room and uh, through this, these lips to your glory. And that we might be receiving that message of your truth uh, with open hearts, ready to implement it into our lives. And Lord, we know that this really uh, in, certainly involves our will, our necessity to cooperate with you. But Lord, we also thank you that it is not from us that the power comes, but from your Spirit. It is not from us that the wisdom comes, but from your Spirit. And for these things, we cannot cease to give you praise. And so we pray for your Spirit to guide this time to your honor, praise, and glory, and to the benefit of your saints. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have here before us um, six remaining in this uh, example list of the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence uh, that, that you are walking the Spirit. Uh, what what is going on in your life when you are engaged in that kind of activity. Um, and we are going to find three that we're going to somewhat lump together that we're going to look uh, specifically at your relationship, one with another, uh, with other people, whether they be within the church or without. Um, I don't know that that is a critical matter, um, but certainly it uh, needs to be on a multiplied level and and very evident within the church and to some extent certainly outside as well with those who are not of Christ. And so we find long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. That these are related to uh, how we're going to treat others. And hopefully these are words that we are familiar with. uh, Long-suffering is patience, that whole idea that I'm going to uh, allow others what I give myself. You ever notice how long-suffering you are of yourself? How patient you are with yourself? And so we could easily, by the way, pack in, just to give me another fruit of the Spirit that I think is all over in God's Word, um, is humility. Wouldn't humility be an evidence of that you're walking with the Spirit? Sure, it is a godly quality or trait, but it's also uh, the outworking. And so here we are lending to others that which we desire is goes along to some degree, uh, well, in large degree, with Christ's directive that we're going to do unto others as we would have others do unto us. Uh, and we are so patient, so understanding of our own selves, our own inadequacies, our own failures, um, and so lacking in that towards others. And what he calls us to is not necessarily this long suffering in terms of of uh, um, trials that is involved, and I'm not. We're going to get to that aspect of it because I'm going to really bring that in a little bit later on under faithfulness. Um, but in its association with kindness and and um, <clears throat> excuse me, kindness and goodness, um, we are looking at our relationship primarily. With others. So, how am I patient? And we certainly all know those things and those people, that, and we have the term try our patience. Well, when you're not walking in the Spirit, when that is not a reality in your life, then this is going to be very difficult. And the sin that would be the opposite of this for the believer, uh, I believe falls under the category of complaint. The Bible says what? Do all things without murmuring or complaining. And when we start having complaints, even valid complaints, that person's not doing their part of the work a load. Um, or my uh, spouse is lazy or my kids aren't carrying their responsibilities, um, which is probably means that you're not carrying your parental responsibilities very well. And so we can we can have all these complaints. We can even complain about our society, we complain, complain about our predicaments that we encounter, and that would be the opposite of long-suffering. God calls us to this, to patience. And of course, we find the directive in James, you know, the trying of your faith produces patience. And we're going to see that again a little bit later on we talk about faithfulness. But uh, we find that God calls us to this. And so we find in several of Paul's books later on, remember this is kind of a, uh, skeletal work that he builds off of almost every one of his books it seems like. Uh, and you find it in Corinthians, you find it even in Philippians, a very positive oriented book but what's at the end of it there? It's like, uh, you two people in the church, get along. Work out your, you know, you need to get along. And over and over again the command is how to relate to one another um, and one of the foundations of that is long suffering, of patience. And um, we find Paul's instruction to in Timothy and to Titus and you're dealing with others it's going to be wrapped up and 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 it's going to be evidenced when your spirit is is working in you and you are walking in step with him that uh, you're going to have these elements in your relationships that you're going to be patient with people you're going to be patient with circumstances you're going to be patient with with uh, uh, any thing that's coming your way, that, that you're going to suffer long. It's going to take a lot to, um, not in terms of quantity only, but even in chronology of, of how long you have to put up with something. And uh, that's usually where we struggle, isn't it? I can put up with something for a short amount of time if I know it's only for a short amount of time. right? How many of you can put up with the obnoxious person on the bus train plane, because you know that it's only for X number of minutes or hours. I can put up with this obnoxious person beside me in the airplane, um, but I know that when it lands that I might not ever see them again. And so the brevity of it makes it the, the patient's enabled. But it's a whole other thing when you are quote unquote trapped in an environment where you Have to deal with them in a workplace, in your home, in your church. I'm convinced that a lot of church hopping is just because we wear out of relationships and we've got to get out of there. Because we're not willing to do this. Because our relationships aren't driven by the Holy Spirit and our walk with Him. They are driven by our self-interests so long-suffering isn't just about suffering much, it's also about suffering for an extended period of time being able to uh, endure people that and events and things in your life that aren't something you necessarily enjoy. But you recognize that there is a reason, there is opportunity within that to extend yourself to them, to minister one to another, and to... Uh, build that relationship to God's glory and, or that event and allow it to do his perfect work in us. So we're called to long-suffering, very akin to that is kindness. <clears throat> and hopefully I don't have to, I don't understand the mentality that says that kindness is, a, is an emotion um, kindness is a decision of your will to do for others that which is right and to their benefit. Simple that. Simply that. That's what it is. Um, it's about a kindness not only um, in attitude but in deed and in word. And so, and if there's any place that I think we we err is we are unkind often in our words. Um, and uh, many of you know me, I'm more than happy to be in, in, in some banter with people. And, and a lot of you young people know that I tease some of you almost incessantly. Um, and maybe I, I, that needs to be corrected in my life. Poor Andrea just gets it nailed all the time. Um, but uh, hopefully I don't do that to anyone except for unless they know the spirit in which it is offered up. Um, but just using kindness that the world doesn't have. Their confrontation with people, um, their encounters with people are driven by so much by self-interest that so we don't see the value and necessity to be kind to people who are strangers or to be kind to people who aren't helping me along the way. Um, and my <laughs> since the officer just walked in, you know, a salesman is really kind to you. You ever notice that while they're trying to sell you something? But boy, cross them up and cancel the sale or something like that, and see what happens, right? <laughs> they get all over you. They're not their friend anymore, and they're ah, all right and and we've I've seen that over and over again. we we think, well, this is a very kind, nice person. Well, no, they're a salesman. They're being paid, and their and their self interest is to speak these gentle, kind, and, and words that will uh, encourage you to participate in spending your money with them in whatever field. And so that uh, is their motive. Their motive isn't they are nice people. Motive is they want to make a sale. So they're kind. And then you cross them and, oh, find out how unkind they can be and how quickly. Um, because it's not driven on a spiritual kindness that says, I'm going to be kind kind-hearted toward people. I'm going to seek and do that which will benefit them. Now, this doesn't make you a big pushover. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about extending yourself while still taking a very strong stand on righteousness and godliness and truth, but still I can exercise kindness to people. I can still do that, um, even while I make some other demands of them. Um, And even judgment can be done kindly, can't it? Right? Can't we do even punitive things with our children? We can either do it harshly and meanly, or we can do it kindly. And there's a distinction there. And many children will pick up on that, and that there is a distinction between that and to recognize that loving kindness the Bible calls us to. And so, again, overwhelmingly, this is in our lateral relationships, one with another, that God expects a level of kindness. And, and again, it's that sacrificial love out of the outflowing of the joy and the peace that we have that we can afford to be kind to others, uh, whether they are kind in return or not. And the Bible talks about if they ask you to do a little, do a lot for them. They say, walk with me one mile, walk five. Go above and beyond. Don't count those costs. And don't keep record of them, right? Doesn't First Corinthians 13 say something? Love doesn't do that. We don't keep record of wrongs or record of even our rights and what they owe us. Um, that's not kindness. Again, that is driven by self-interest. This spiritual walk, this spiritual fruit in your life is when kindness is just the norm. Because God has put within your heart a desire to serve and minister to others and to see them, even the most despicable of them, um, by their needs and by uh, their value as creations of God that Jesus loved and died for, and therefore I have no reason not to be kind to them. And again, um, let me just... revisit Nehemiah this morning. Was Nehemiah kind by grabbing all the men and slapping them and pulling their hair out? Yes. Why was that kind? Because he wanted to protect them from going through all the same things that just happened to their parents or grandparents. He says, listen, we can't commit these very same atrocities that got us in trouble in the first place. So he got their attention. You might say, well, he couldn't have done it in a kind way. Maybe, but not with the effect that he got. (laughs) And so don't put into this verse the modern idea of kindness, which is really just kind of a wishy-washiness of leaving people alone and let them do whatever they want. That is not a biblical concept of what is kindness. Um, So kindness, I'm kind to my children, disciplining them, bringing into the parameters in their life. That's a a kind of, of kindness. And there's a... There's a uh, aspect there that is that is necessary, and it, it's kind to go out there and and try to correct people. And, and do people take it wrong? Yes. You know, I remember many times that I got. I said you, you really shouldn't do that. I remember when I was a, a little league baseball coach, and you know, people would be. I say, I got all these kids here. You're going to have to take your motorcycle, get it out of this park because you're endangering these children. And oh, boy, I, I, you think I committed some heinous crime, right? You don't know, you know. And they put on the big bravado, the big guy and all that. And I just went and picked up a bat. And I said, do you want to do this that way? I mean, really? You know, I got my assistant coaches. I got my parents here. Do you really want to do that? Don't you see what my interest is? He says, I could have had a gun. and pulled it. I said, I could have a gun. I said, this isn't about that. This is about what's right and Considered of others. So did he think I was being kind? No. He took offense. But it was the kindest thing I could do in the circumstance to politely come up and ask him. I mean, I didn't sit there and throw a rock at his bike or something. I mean, I just said, take your motorcycle and you can't be ripping around here in the park. Even on the sidewalks. Get it off of here. I got a bunch of kids here. I don't need you ripping around. And that wasn't a teenager, by the way. That was a grown man. You should have known better. So kindness isn't wishy-washy, uninvolved, disengaged, um, let everyone do their thing. Sometimes that's the most unkind thing you can do. Nor is it non-challenging. Because if you don't confront people, um, that's not a kind act. You're condemning them to hell if you're not willing to confront them on their sins. So don't associate kindness just with um, random acts of kindness. Bumper stick or some. Um Sometimes the random act of kindness is to confront someone about their sin. And that can sometimes take a very heated uh, environment, create a heated environment, but it's still a kind thing. Okay, so when we go on to the next lateral one, and uh, this one is uh, goodness. And Hopefully we can associate that very clearly to the idea that we are going to do what is right, uh, not just for others, but for, um, in every circumstance, that we are looking after what is good. And again, uh, we are calling Philippians that we're going to meditate on a certain um, quantity of elements that we know, and among those are, whatsoever things are excellent, pure, and, and just these good things. Let's focus our attention on that and we'll be engaged in that. Not only in relationship to specific people and environments that we have, these relationships that in, that offer us an opportunity to share kindness, but in terms of goodness of doing right, even if no one else necessarily is involved. If it's just generally just a good idea, this is good goodness. This is a a reflection of the goodness of God that we claim to share in. And if we're walking in the Spirit, it will be one of the facets that we show others. It's just a general goodness. And again, we can fold in a lot of other things, um, or we can just say that goodness can be combined with other things like honesty, reliability, things like that, that we are just dependability, things along that way, that we have integrity, we can put all those as fruit of the Spirit. And certainly they are, um, because these are good things. And so we see these honorable uh, elements that should characterize not just, again, not our feelings, but rather our lives, that our acts and our decisions of our will, if we're walking in the Spirit, here's what's going to happen— you're not going to sit there and try to figure out how to get even with people or how to get your cut of everything, how to get ahead, you know, that that doesn't drive your thinking on a daily basis. But rather, we're looking how we can do good. And again, doing good for society, for the church, for my family, is not always necessarily a soft little fuzzy thing. (laughs) Sometimes it's pretty tough. Um, And it's doing the tough thing and the hard thing, and the unpopular thing, but yet it's the good thing. Um, I remember in middle school, I guess it was, that, uh, and I had very little problems with math at the middle school levels, um, and uh, I had a teacher that once you were done, because it was right before lunch, but we were the second lunch period, he would let you go if you finished your math exam. Lest you go, and I could go down and get early lunch. I guess that was ninth grade, and um, and so, um, which by the way, for me, ninth grade was still middle school. Um, so ninth graders could go to lunch. Doesn't that just shock you? Ninth grade is middle school. That's what it was. Um, it was great because the year that we went to sophomores, they changed the format, and so we were we went from being the ninth graders the oldest, to being the 10th graders the second oldest because they also brought up the 8th graders in the 9th grade. And so we didn't have to have that youngest, you know, all the upper class from bugging us. Um, but there I am. And so what can you, well, I'd get done my test really fast, turn it in, and I'd go have lunch before everybody. Okay? And, well, what's the good thing to do? What did that do to everybody in the class? Was that the good thing to do or the self-interested thing to do? And I remember one exam, I got done, I put my pencil down, I turned it in, I hear, oh, I hear about three or four, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Oh. It wasn't the good thing to do. Was there anything wrong with it? In and of itself, no. It was just that I was my own interests. And and can you imagine kids that were maybe one-third of the way through the exam and I'm already out the door? I'm not being good. And that's not really beneficial to them. And so we are called to this. And goodness sometimes is just... Thinking beyond our own interests and again doing what is godly and, and right and to the benefit of others than ourselves. And, um, and seeing the, the ramifications of that and doing what is right, what is honest, what is true, what is just. Try being just in this world. Try it, it's hard. They don't want you to be just. They want justice, which means I want people to be punished who I think are bad. But they don't really want justice, which is, let's make this fair and equitable and right. So that's our first category. Our second category we need to spend a little more time on, and I probably spent too much time on those first three, but I just feel like we get away from it and we start to associate these things with softness and, And being pushovers. Um, The last thing I want to handle is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And again, we can relate certainly faithfulness to long-suffering, to patience. Um, But gentleness, and you might say, well, that sounds a lot like what you just described as kindness. Um, But I like the the marginal work there, which is meekness. And some of your translations will have meekness. Um, I actually prefer that because I think it Means a, a, something a little bit different. A little gentleness, gentle and meek are are pretty synonymous ideas, and um, they these three I think all involve a facet of self control. Self control. The last one really uh, is evident in all three of these in different areas, uh, and in terms of faithfulness, that endurance. That, and again, we can bring in some of those ideas from goodness of dependability, reliability, integrity, all those things, that we're faithful. But in terms of your walk with the Lord, it is that whole idea that there is no other God before him. That that faithfulness, that reliability, that this is someone who's going to follow after the Lord. Which means that I have an attitude and perspective that is ready to be corrected, rebuked, that is ready to receive that very humbly. Um, I have the attitude to be taught. I have a teachable spirit. That is going to build into faithfulness. Um, there's this desire that, that I want to walk with the Lord. And as I walk with the Spirit, and as I grow in these other areas, faithfulness is the result. I can endure. And you've studied in... Uh, your science school class, uh, the Hebrews' perspective on that, that faith is that evidence. And how is faith demonstrated? Well, it's not demonstrated by saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. It's silly, but I believe. I believe it's silly, but I believe. That is not faith. It's not what we're talking about. Okay, that's from Miracle on 34th Street, by the way, if you're wondering. Um, that's not what we're talking about. What What happened? By faith, they believed. Or by faith they did things. They believe God and that belief produces action. It's not a hopeful wishing. It is I will be obedient and do. And so even if that doing means I may be hated, may be killed, uh, maybe I have to endure some harshness, some hard hardships, um, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to build this boat. It's going to take me a hundred years. I'm going to have people laughing at me while I'm preaching at them all that time, but I'm going to Be faithful, and I'm going to fulfill the responsibility and that enduringness is that generates as we walk with the Spirit. This isn't just a stubborn will we're talking about, but we're talking about a genuine loyalty. That we are loyal to this commitment. That I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to... um, Be obedient. And again, how is our faith strengthened? It is strengthened through those acts. And also but strengthened by our instruction, our training. Uh, And thus we are called in Ephesians that we are to build each other up. What? For the unity of the knowledge and faith. And so faith, it can be increased. It is increased not by Jumping off of tall buildings and seeing if God catches you. Okay, It's not by doing foolish things and seeing if God's you know I believe God's going to do this. Faith is built by a better and greater understanding of the truth of scriptures of the truth of God, and by a genuine, consistent walk with God. And that's another word <laughs> I have it here. Um, consistency, faithfulness. Again, we can wrap consistency into faithfulness, or we just say consistency could be another fruit of, faith, of walking in the Spirit. Are you consistent? I'm one of the most inconsistent people naturally there probably is. I'm a spurter. You know what that means? I want to do a lot, and then I don't want to do anything. Now, some people call that bipolar, but its I don't have bipolar. <laughs> I don't think. Um, but I'll do something and I'll do it religiously for a short period of time, but that's not consistent. It's not faithfulness. And I can blame lots of different things in my life because moving around and going to all these different schools, you know, you go to that many schools, you move that often as a kid, you think, well, that's why you can't. In fact, one of the things my wife says, I don't think you, when we first moved here, I, I'm not sure you're going to stay at any church longer than three years because you just don't stay anywhere very long. You've never stayed anywhere very long. I was in college five years at Cedarville, and that was the longest I'd lived anywhere. And my wife was very concerned about that. And um, But here we've been. How old were some of you when we moved here? How oh, long have we been here? We've been here a long time. I got ants and no, I, I don't have itchy feet. Um, because part of the maturing in the Lord is this faithfulness. Even. Built not upon whether um, things are going your way, but built upon this is the Lord calling you. Uh, Is faithfulness a ruttedness? No, I'm not talking about a rut that you make for yourself, but uh, where you just do the same things, although there is some value to orderliness and to duty, doing things as duty. Um, But if the first part is there, love, joy, peace, faithfulness is something that uh, is not laborious for you it's something you're glad to do and then we come to um, the idea of meekness and hopefully you have a good definition of that as strength under control and of course that brings us to self-control and it makes sense that he would just develop these out of one another you can see the thought process going on in his mind Um, and so we find um, meekness that we have some capacity to do things, but we can not exercise those capacities. It's not the American way, but it is the God way. The American way is exercise your rights. Right? We're driven that. We've been taught that. We've been ingrained with that. You have these rights. You should exercise those rights. And uh, I have people that get pretty angry at me because I say, well, I I don't believe I should exercise... It's your right. I was like, well, the government might say that, but that doesn't mean I have to exercise it to please you or that somehow I'm not a good citizen because I don't. You see, meekness or gentleness says, while I have right to all of this, I don't need to exercise it because I have something more in my interests than my own exercising my rights. I think Paul himself is an excellent example of that. What does he write to them? Um, Do I have the right to take a wife? Sure I do, but I haven't. Do I have a right to be paid for what I do? Sure I have a right to that, but I'm not going to exercise it. And so we have all these rights, and Paul says, yeah, I have the right to demand this and this. I'm an apostle of the Gentiles. I have the right to demand a lot of things, but I'm not going to exercise them. Why? Because there's a better way. There's the way of the Spirit, the way of of that love for one another and the exercise of joy and peace, of of kindness, and and it's going to be self-control of my uh, rights, That I have all these strengths, I have all these capacities, I have all of this, but I am going to constrain them rather than dump them on you or demand them from you. I'm going to hold back. And that is meekness. That I can be meek by, not because, again, and we often associate the meek with weakness, that's the old Adage when I was growing up, a uh, weak doesn't mean or meek doesn't mean weak, um, but it's often associated that word in the minds of the world, you know. And so when Christ said, you know, blessed are the are these type of people, we look at those and say, well, those aren't Americans, <laughs> and you're right. It's not the American mentality. Uh, when you go to Matthew five and you have the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes there, and so we find that we are called to this because we have again self-control we have a humility we have a other oriented interests and one of the manifestations of that is meekness that we will stop ourselves though we have the capability that we have the strength that we have the knowledge we're not going to exercise it in full strength because we have some concern for the other person right All of us parents know that. We've all dealt with that, right? Um, I wrestled with my kids. Um, Do you think I was capable of putting down Scott? I I think I could still do it, by the way, son. Um, But I'm pretty sure when he was six and we're wrestling that I could have tied him in knots and tossed him anywhere I wanted, right? But I didn't. Why? That's meekness, by the way. I have the strength to do all these things, but... There's there's no value to it, other than what what do I have to prove to myself that I can beat up a six year old? You know, so when I read in the newspaper these people that are beating on children and breaking their bodies up, and it, it just infuriates you. Uh, what is what are how weak are you that you have to take out your strength and your uh, abilities on these little little defenseless ones almost? So. Yes, can I argue people down and beat them down with lots of scriptural arguments from from whatever? Sure. I have the capability to do that. But what's the value? You know, I I insert my ideas every now and then to some of my close friends on Facebook and I don't pursue it. I don't keep pressing it and pressing it and I don't give them a list of 45 verses and passages and I don't do it because if they're not responsive to that what's, what's the other one going to do? Do I have to prove myself right? I don't need to prove myself right. I don't need that. I'm secure in my knowledge of God's word and and in my walk, the spirit that all that would do is trying to prove my point and to try to humiliate them. It's enough that I said something and I can stop and back off and just Say, okay, you don't like what you hear. I don't need to bowl you over. And that's meekness. That is gentleness, that I don't use all of my resources and just destroy them. And again, um, that's a little, uh, if there's any concept here that I think we're really losing in our society, is the idea of sportsmanship. What's the sportsmanship thing to do if you are really dominating an opponent? Back in the day, what I grew up with is you back off and you don't use your full strength, right? You don't use your starters. You don't keep scoring. You just back off. And you don't try hard. You give them a chance. Um, And to some degree, we still see that. But you see others where, you know, it's like a 100... To five. And it was like, what are you doing? You know, you can dribble till your time goes by. You don't have to outscore this basketball team 100 and let them only score five points. What have you proven? You know, How badly do you have to beat people before you just have shame? You should have shame over that, but they don't. And so gentleness is about, I don't have to use all of my force um, and if It doesn't accomplish anything but my own interests. And then self-control, and I have waxed eloquent on this many, 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 many times because this is my favorite one and is the one that I think a lot of Christians want to ignore and pretend is not there, um, that we are called to exercise self-restraint. This is a God-like quality, all of these are, by the way, um, this is a godlike quality. God has self-control. He controls himself, expects us to control ourselves. And sometimes that means that I have to give you the latitude to do stuff. Yep. It's really hard for me, uh, and I'm learning as I go, and I'm hopefully on a fast learning curve. Um, when you have adult children, and all my children are adults, okay, Um, when you have adult children, you have to just, it's not let go, it's, you're going to have to just not be under my thumb anymore. And that's hard for a person of my qualities (laughs) Um, to just say, uh, I can control myself and I have to let you live your life. And so um, I know my kids are tired of hearing me say this, and, I, and maybe you are too. I tell my kids, you live your choices. And, but that's not, I'm not just telling them that, I'm telling me that. What am I telling me? Let them live their lives. You let them live their choices. Don't you go in there and try, God lets you live your choices, doesn't he? He exercises restraint himself, self-control, to permit you to make bad choices. He does that. He doesn't make you puppets. He he allows you the the freedom to do that, and and that's a lot of self-control. We often think of self-control in terms of bad habits, and certainly that's there and true and evident, but it's that whole idea of recognizing that in terms of of my walk with God, my walk with other people, and my encounter with the world, and the, the temptations of the world, that self-control should characterize me. That I have all of these liberties, and that's key here in the book of Galatians, I have all these liberties, but that doesn't mean I can explore them to the nth degree. Because exploring this liberty without understanding the counterbalance of this liberty... I can't explore my liberty to do these acts without correspondingly understanding that I have to keep being loving even as I do that. I have to keep being kind even as I do that. I don't have the freedom, because love is the parameter of our liberty, I don't have the freedom to go out there and just do whatever I want. Paul says, i got a lot of things that I'm free to do. doesn't mean it's going to be my exercise. It's not going to be what I do. And this is the evidence of walking in the Spirit, is that you are going to take a lot of places in your life and, yeah, you can come to me and say, Pastor, you, I have the right to do this. And I'll just kind of nod and say, okay. And here's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. You don't get it. You're only thinking about yourself. You're not walking in the Spirit. That's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind every time somebody says that. You can't judge me for doing this. And I'm like, okay. I'll back off. I'll let you have what you want. Your own way. But what you've evidenced is an unfruitfulness. Which tells me you're not walking in the Spirit. Fruit is there to show a cooperative effort has succeeded between a plant, the soil, the water, and the air has produced this fruit. And so, if it's not there, and I see you going your way and running roughshod over people, and when I see it in myself, I just, Lord, forgive me. I'm not walking in your spirit. That's the flesh talking, not the spirit. And self-control, I think, is where he wants to end because it really wraps up his whole idea of the chapter 5, which is, yeah, you're free. Keep your liberty. Don't, don't put another yoke on yourself. Um, but also remember that you have this parameter of it, and that's your love for one another. And the way to develop that is by walking in the Spirit. Okay, I've gone a little late, so let's go learn in prayer. Well, God, we do thank you for your love for us, and thank you again for your working in us, and your demonstrating really all of this fruit in Christ and your, your own actions towards us and Lord, we uh, see a lacking in our lives in some of these areas, and uh, and we know the root cause is that we are not walking your spirit sufficiently. And so we thank you for this reminder that where there is where there's where, where there's little fruit, there is little watering. And Lord, we pray that you might help us not to quench what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us by withholding our part in this relationship, in this cooperative. So Lord, help us as we know you have promised to do to those who ask and guide us by your Spirit. Lord, we humbly Seek after you, that we might truly walk in your spirit, where we fail to do that, Lord, rebuke and correct us, Point us out that we may um, better be strengthened, better grow in our faith and our trust and our uh, obedience to you. we pray it says in Christ Jesus' name, Amen.